2: On air, I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernil is attending the National Conference on Aging out in uh, San Francisco. Not a bad place to be, and so we're delighted to have Peaches Hall filling in for Carol today. Peaches is the director of the Doris Griffin Senior Center at uh, Ingram, a well facility in cooperation with the city of San Antonio. Also spent a lot of her working years uh, director of memory centers here and has worked in the same industry in Florida, and we're always happy to have Peaches with us. Good to see you.
3: Oh, it's good to be here. I'm always happy to be here.
2: And in your personal life, you've been a caregiver as well.
3: Yes, for my dad. Yeah. It was a long-distance kind of relationship, but it makes it a little more difficult.
2: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, we are pleased to welcome as our very special guest today, Barry Jacobs, who is a clinical psychologist, medical educator, and a writer. He was one of our featured speakers at the Caregiver Conference uh, this past year, and we look forward to talking with him now on Caregiver SOS On Air. Barry, good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Peaches. Good good to be with you.
2: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. And I I wanted to jump on something you had in your uh, resume that you sent to us, that you've worked avidly in the field of hot spotting and high-utilizer care. What does that mean?
4: Uh, What that means is... uh, I work for a health system uh, that identifies uh, patients in the community who uh, have uh, many hospitalizations and emergency room visits. Uh, sometimes it's because they have a very bad illness, but oftentimes it's because they have uh, social and psychological issues which complicate their, their care. Uh, and consequently, they, uh, they, they are not able to stay in their own homes very, very, for very long without needing hospitalization again. and. Uh, what we do is we create a, a, a multidisciplinary team which works intensively with patients in their homes, addressing the, the social issues like transportation and housing and uh, sometimes food insecurity, uh, addressing the psychological or, or issues, which could include substance abuse or, or depression, uh, as a way of helping people live as well as they can and do as well as they can with medical illness and uh, stay out of the hospital, stay out of the emergency room.
2: Now, what got you interested in caregiving?
4: Uh, my interest in caregiving really goes back uh, to when I was a teenager when my my father uh, was diagnosed with brain cancer when I was 14 <clears throat> and uh, uh, He uh, He was sick for about a year uh, before he died uh, but during that year uh, My family went through a very very difficult time. My, my mother had been uh, a homemaker, and suddenly had to go to work and, and work two jobs to, to make up for my father's lost income. Uh, my father had been an attorney, who, uh, when he developed brain cancer, was unable to work. Um, and then, uh, and then immediately after my father died, my family went through a very difficult time uh, when uh, my, you know, we had a lot of financial uh, setbacks, and uh, my mother and grandmother got along very poorly, uh, and that uh, created a lot of strife, which which added to the grief of, of the loss of my father. Uh, so those those experiences when I was a teenager kind of gave me the sense that uh, when people deal with a serious illness like cancer or <clears throat> chronic illnesses like uh, dementia or, or di- you know, diabetic complications, that these are never uh, just conditions that affect one individual. They are family issues that affect the whole family. Uh, and uh, I, I grew up to become a psychologist. Uh, I first was a journalist and then later became a psychologist and a psychologist focusing on the needs of families uh, dealing with medical medical problems. And that, that translates into working with family caregivers.
2: And it turns out you spent a lot of time focusing on uh, how caregivers can care for themselves emotionally, mentally, psychologically.
4: Uh now that's true, Ron. I, so I, I, you know, you mentioned that I'm a writer. I've, I've written two books on family caregiving. One, the Emotional Survival Guide for Caregivers. Another uh, that I co-wrote with my wife, uh, Julie Mayer, uh, called AARP uh, Meditations for Caregivers. Uh, and I write a monthly column uh, in, on the AARP website about caregiving. Um, but so a lot of a lot of the work that I've done, a lot of the writing that I've done for a long time, has been about helping uh, caregivers with the psychological aspects of caregiving. Uh, had, I have a, a, a ARP uh, website column that just went up today. It's called Overcoming uh, uh, Caregiver Self Neglect, and it's it's exactly what, about what you say: uh, how to help caregivers actually feel okay about caring for themselves, not feel guilty about caring for themselves, uh, and uh, because they need to care for themselves if, they, if they're going to be in a position to care for anybody else. Well,
2: and where where will our listeners find that column?
4: Uh, it is up on the AARP website uh, as we speak, uh, on the, under the Caregiving Life Balance section, uh, and uh, it should uh, should be one of the articles that appears toward the bottom of the page. Uh, so, or they can just put into Google "overcoming uh, caregiver." I mean, it's actually the, the, the exact title is "How to Overcome Caregiver Self Neglect," uh, and the article will pop right up, and uh, they can read that. Uh, it literally posted uh, this afternoon.
2: Stick with us just a minute. For folks who just joined us, I want to remind you you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our guest co-host today, Peaches Hall, filling in for Carol Zernio. We're talking with Barry Jacobs, a clinical psychologist, educator, and writer, talking about caregiving and caring for caregivers. And caregivers, Peaches, you saw this all the time caregivers who neglect themselves
3: i do i wanted to mention that i'm hearing your voice and um barry just the way you speak about when you were a teen and you were going through this i still feel the pain and i i am so happy to hear that because i want people out there to know that somebody is listening and that pain is out there but sharing that is so important too and to to still hear it after all those years that makes you good at what you do
4: Uh, I appreciate that, Peaches, and uh, as Rod knows, I mean, it wasn't just that that one experience in my life. I mean, within the last 10 years, uh, my wife and I were caregivers for uh, my father-in-law, and then after he died, almost immediately afterwards, for my stepfather, and then after he died immediately after that, uh, caring for my mother, uh, who died uh, from complications of vascular dementia uh, Uh. uh, 11 months ago. So, you know, you live long enough, you have, uh, have the opportunity to have multiple caregiving experiences. And so certainly what I've gone through personally um, has, has informed my professional work and my writing for a long time. I couldn't do this. I couldn't, I couldn't empathize with caregivers unless I had been through some of
5: this
2: yeah. myself. I,
3: I can feel it. Uh, doing this for so many years myself, um, working alongside my staff, I, I understand.
2: One of the things that uh, often surprises people is how they haven't thought about caregiving. Uh, life is going great. Things are wonderful. Not a problem. And then whammo they're suddenly a caregiver.
4: Uh, yes. I, I think, uh, you know, sometimes we we may naively believe that our parents are going to live forever or that they'll never get sick or um, that nothing bad bef- will ever befall our family. Uh, but, you know, we know that there are 40 million Americans today who are providing care for loved ones. That's a lot of families in which caregiving is taking place. And so, I, 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 you know, as, as Wilson Carter has pointed out, you know, all of us are going to be uh, either be a caregiver at some point in our lives or I'll be a care receiver, uh, getting uh, receiving care from a from a caregiver at, at some point. Right. And so this is a normal part of life. Um, none of us are – very few of us are blessed enough to never go through this.
2: I digress very quickly. On uh, Sunday morning on CBS, uh, Jane Pauley interviewed uh, President Carter this past Sunday, uh, he has, so far, knockwood wood, beaten brain cancer. And he talked about how he was very comfortable with death. But when Rosalind suddenly took ill very recently, he didn't know how to deal with it. He couldn't handle it. She'd been his strength, his uh, partner, his lover, his life. Uh, and with her facing what could have been uh, the end of her life, uh, he was really at wit's
5: end.
4: Uh, you know, sometimes I, I think it's true that we we feel uh, more keenly uh, the pain and suffering of those we love than we f- we feel our own pain and suffering. And uh, I think, uh, especially considering how long uh, Jimmy and Rosalind have been together, uh, it's understandable that that uh, he would feel so strongly about his his, his wife's well-being, uh, and she would feel the same about about him. Uh, so I. I I think that's true for many caregivers and, and many care receivers. That uh, and maybe just many many couples who are married. That uh, uh, we we uh, we love we love the other one almost more than we love our, ourselves.
3: You know, it's funny because um, sometimes my husband's health fails and comes in and out. Of we've been together forty five years, we've been married, and um, sometimes I sit I get that edgy, kind of cranky feeling, and then I realize his decline has happened for a while, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm a caregiver. That's the problem. And so you sometimes don't even identify it in yourself. All uh,
4: right, teachers as you probably well know, there are many people who are doing this that, that don't identify themselves as caregivers. Um, they they just think of themselves as being you know dutiful wives and dutiful daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with that is that if you don't identify yourself as a caregiver, then you're not likely to avail yourself of caregiver support services mm-hmm. like home health aides and adult daycare programs and, uh, and support groups that that exist within every community. And so it's it, it, it's very important for people to to say, hey, I guess I am a caregiver, and uh, programs like this one, you know, your radio program help people understand that that their own situations uh, really could be defined as caregiving situations, Mm -hmm. then once they see themselves as a caregiver, they're they're more likely to reach out for for help that could really support them over time.
2: Let's talk in just a minute or so about uh, what it is that keeps many caregivers from asking for help, for reaching out for help. How do we get them over that hurdle? And what kind of help uh, can be most effective for somebody who's caring for a Uh, a spouse, a loved one, a mom, a dad. Uh, We're talking with Barry Jacobs, a clinical psychologist and educator on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our guest host today, co-host Peaches Hall, filling in for Carol Zernial, who is on special assignment at the National Conference on Aging out in San Francisco, California. This is 930 AM, The Answer wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio?
6: You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life.
2: And it's something that... Uh, You're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio?
6: Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home.
2: Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 930 a.m. The Answer Thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS on air on nine thirty a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron I'm here with Peaches Hall, who is the director of the Doris Griffin Senior Center over at Ingram Park Mall. And Peaches also has a lot of experience working with caregivers, running memory units across the country. We're talking with Barry Jacobs, who is an expert. On caregiving, He learned it the hard way by doing it. He's a clinical psychologist and a medical educator. Does a lot of writing in the field as well. And one of the things, Barry, we were talking about a couple of moments ago is what is it about caregivers? When someone says, hey, Peaches, I know you're caring for your mom or your dad or whatever. Can I give you some help? Oh, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. When you know they're not. Yeah, it happens
3: a lot. Um, I'm blessed in the situation that I'm at to have 5,000 members that are part of the center, and I get to to really understand and know them in a very close way so that I can see when sometimes something is going awry, and I'm able to at least say to them something's not right, what's going on. And so I can start that conversation, but a lot of people don't have that luxury.
2: How do you handle that, Barry?
4: Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, people are afraid that if if you – recognize that they need support that somehow you're crit- being critical of them that you're you're uh, telling them that they're, they're not being uh, a strong enough or a good enough caregiver or that they're somehow uh, uh, you know shirking their duties and that's not it at all i mean when we offer support to people it's because we want to help them do more of what it is that they've committed themselves to do not not uh, in any way uh, criticize what they're doing or uh, or, or besmirch uh, their, their efforts uh, so uh uh, you know, unfortunately, reaching out for support makes people feel guilty, uh, and that and that is uh, you know quite unfortunate. And, and sometimes people have to work hard to to get over the guilt and to kind of see that using help, in fact, empowers them to be a, a better caregiver. Um, and and so that, that's what when, in my conversations with caregivers, that's what I'm trying to, to help them do, to to see. Uh, I, I use a mar- the, the metaphor of a marathon a lot. Uh, I, I talk with folks about. How uh, nobody would, would would consider running a marathon and expect to get from the start of that long race to the finish without uh, taking replenishment and, and getting help along the way. I mean, you know, a caregiver who uh, who feels that they can do it all on their own is like a, would be like a marathon runner who runs past the water station at mile five and says, No, thank you, I'm not thirsty when when offered water bottles. It just it just is not a good good way to, to get to, the, to to complete the race.
2: But sometimes they don't know what they need.
4: Well, that's that's exactly right. I mean, sometimes people uh, get into this uh, without a real clear idea of of, uh, what's ahead of them, which is uh, also why I use the marathon metaphor, because if you're going to run a marathon, you you want to know how long it's going to be. You want to know where the the, the lay of the land is, where the uphills are, and where the downhills are. And that's like a caregiver who uh, gets into a caregiving situation and begins to gather information about what to expect uh, going forward, what to expect within the next few months, within the next year, within the next two years, so that they can begin uh, to prepare themselves for, for the long haul and not just be caught up in what needs to get done every day. And we, you know, what I what I often say, and I actually say in the, the AARP article that I mentioned a little while ago, is that living in the moment is not a good way to be a, a, a caregiver because certainly we have to be able to, to cherish our loved one uh, in the present, but we also have to be able to look far enough down the road to, to make adequate plans for caring uh, for them and for caring for ourselves as, as, as we go forward. Um, and so that means really learning a little bit about w- what's to come, and uh, that, that often means turning to caregiver support services to, to get information about, about how to manage over time.
2: Now, what kind of support services are out there?
4: So, in every community in this country, uh, there is a, what is called an area agency on aging uh, that 's a local outpost of the u s Department of Aging. Uh, each area agency on aging office has a caregiver support program which uh, provides uh, specific information and uh, money and often hands on support for caregivers caring for those uh, for older Americans and uh, in order to find the, the Area Agency on Aging in your community, uh, you can go to the website, uh, eldercare, uh, E-L-D-E-R-C-A-R-E dot gov, and then when you go to that website, you just put in the zip code of where your uh, the care receiver lives, and uh, up will come the information for for the uh, Area Agency on Aging in that area. And by calling that, that, that agency, you can uh, get information about caregiver support services there.
3: We're Really fortunate at the Doris Griffin Center is that we do have an SOS caregiver support group that meets, and we also have an Alzheimer's support group and a, um, a group of people for grieving. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, it is. You know, at our age, we're starting to lose friends and family, and um, there's something about getting together in a group, and we have these groups that meet there, and that's, uh, you know, if you just even
2: cry together, it just helps. Well, as a clinical psychologist, You've had a lot of experience with that, Barry.
4: Uh, I mean, I, I, I certainly have seen caregivers who are in bad straits. I mean, people who, uh, as a consequence of perhaps uh, caregiving for a long period of time or very difficult circumstances, are not just uh, sad and not just tired, but, but have become clinically uh, depressed uh, or clinically anxious. Uh, and so they, these are folks who need even more than the usual support, they, they need uh, actual treatment. Uh, maybe uh, psychotherapy, maybe even medication in order to to help them uh, function better psychologically in order to uh, be able to continue caregiving.
2: Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Our special guest is Barry Jacobs. He is a clinical psychologist and an educator. Peaches Hall filling in for Carol Zerniel today as we talk about caregiving and caregivers and the issues and challenges that they face. Now, Peach has mentioned something that is true. Uh, As we as a society age, there are now more people 65 and over than 18 and under in this country and we are facing a time when there will be more people needing care than there will be available caregivers. How do we deal with that as a country, Barry?
4: Uh, Not easily. Uh, So uh, this is something that uh, AARP uh, highlighted a few years ago where they they talked about the – that currently uh, for every person who needs care in the country – there are four available family members who could provide the care. Uh, uh, in the future, uh, that, that ratio is going I to... You know You know what? I said, I said that wrong. There are seven available people uh, who could provide the care, uh, and that, as uh, particularly as the baby boomers get older uh, and uh, there are few pe- fewer people in the younger generations, it's going to go from the ratio of 7 to 1 to, to 4 to 1 and eventually 3 to 1 but there are going to be fewer uh, available family members to step up. I, I think that uh, ultimately we're going to have to rely more on professional services, uh, you know, home health aides and, uh, uh, and other, other professional supports uh, to, to do some of the, the, the work that family caregivers are doing now. Um, and I, I, you know, it's going, to, it's going to come down to a question of how that's going to get paid for, uh, either out of our own pockets or through some sort of uh, government-supported programs. Uh, but it, it's a it's a big problem in you know going forward in the next twenty to thirty years
2: most people can't afford to pay for it
4: uh most people cannot uh, there, there are uh, uh, you know the average uh, in most communities it, it costs about uh, twenty to twenty five dollars an hour to hire a home health aide. uh that becomes uh, enough you get enough uh, hours per, per for a home health aide per week uh it becomes prohibitively expensive for 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 most families. Many people uh, turn to uh, the Area Agency on Aging or or other county agencies or or state agencies uh, to help subsidize those services, Uh, but but many families struggle uh, to to come up with the funds for, for, for. for those professional supports, and then consequently, they, they then have to take on uh, or the care themselves.
3: There's also that crack they fall into when they go from independent to assisted, and they don't have enough funds to go into a memory care, and so they are still not progressed enough in the disease to get into skilled nursing. So, boy,
4: yeah, we have, we have a very uh, we have a system of caring for people as they age and, and uh, caring for caregivers that has improved a great deal in this country in the past 25 years that, that I've been involved in this field. Um, so we have many more supports in place than existed before. Uh, and with this new omnibus bill that just got passed on the federal level, we have more money going to caregiver support services around the country. Uh, that said, we have uh, many gaps in services that are, are still not filled uh, in comparison to other countries or uh, are, are, you know, our state and federal government does much less than uh, what is done in England or Sweden, for instance. Uh, and so, again, it, the, the burden of care still falls on many families here.
2: Now, as part of the challenge that caregivers really work uh, in anonymity, they're, they're not high profile, they don't get a lot of attention, they're just day in and day out doing the job within the confines of their home or apartment. And nobody really sees it.
4: Uh, I, I would like to think that, we, as a society, we, we see it more readily than we used to. Uh, I think part of this is you know this has been a kind of a slow evolution over time. I, I think about uh, 20 years ago, uh, organizations like the National Family Caregivers Association, now called Caregiver uh, Care, Caregiver Action, now um, that uh, they help brand the term caregiver, uh, and then once once the term caregiver got branded. And, we, and there was some publicity uh, in, in the general press about some celebrity caregivers, uh, then uh, people began to recognize that this was a, a specific phenomenon that occurs in families and then began to identify themselves with, with that phenomenon. Um, and I think more, more people understand the term caregiver and caregiving. Uh, and more people understand that uh, it, is, it is a stressful uh, endeavor and that uh, because it's stressful, they need to reach out for support.
2: I want to talk to you in just a minute, and if you can share with me and Peaches Hall, uh, what are some of the things before you become that caregiver? You're in a family. You've got a spouse. You're both aging. You've got a mom and dad, aunts and uncles who are aging. What is it you ought to look at? What is it you ought to know about caregiving? And can we do a better job of preparing to do this? Look, we send kids to driver ed school to get them a driver's license. We do nothing to prepare folks to become caregivers. We'll talk more about that on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in today for Carol Zernial, Barry Jacobs, a clinical psychologist. Our special guest today on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, What can folks learn from WellMed Radio?
6: You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life.
2: And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio?
6: Well... I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home.
2: Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 930 a.m. The Answer. Be There. I'm Ron Aaron along with Peaches Hall filling in for Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS On Air. We're talking with clinical psychologist and educator Barry Jacobs on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. I had mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, Barry, that uh, my wife and I, life is great. Everything's good. I uh, end up with uh, uh, left knee total replacement uh, surgery. She suddenly becomes a caregiver. Something that turns out she's great at a lot of things. Caregiving, not so much. And then a weekend ago, I end up in the hospital with AFib, arterial fibrillation. My heart's kind of going wacko. My heart rate's up to 169, like I'd run a marathon but hadn't left the chair. They finally get me under control, and my wife again becomes a caregiver. Add to that, we have three little kids twin boys who are four and a little six-year-old girl, so you can imagine the stress and pressure on Gina. Uh, she's come through it okay. We're still together. We can laugh about some of this. But we only almost killed each other once or twice. Never got serious about that, of course. But I wonder, is there something we could have done because you know at some point you or your spouse will need care? What
5: should we have done?
4: well I, I think families as a whole uh, ought to have conversations uh, as as a as, their, as family members become older uh, there ought to be conversations about uh what if uh, things go awry at some point you know so there ought to, uh, you know we call this kind of contingency planning so uh, how do we plan for uh helping our older our oldest family members live as well as possible? Uh, in a manner in which they choose, uh, and that may mean, uh, you know, considering moving from, say, a multi-floor dwelling into a, a one-floor dwelling. Uh, it may mean uh, living, clo- you know, moving closer to children in the event that they they uh, may need help at some point. It may mean sharing some financial information with the children uh, so that they kind of understand what what, what the parents' finances are. Um, having, you know, sometimes people avoid conversations like that because they have this magical belief that if, if they talk about bad things happening, then they're going to somehow make them more likely to occur. Um, but I, I really feel the opposite. I feel that, that you know, we make the best plans, when well, we lay plans, uh, and, and, and we're best prepared for what may occur, And even if we never use most of the plans that we devise. Uh, so... I, I encourage family members long before uh, there's uh, the advent of any illness whatsoever to begin talking about uh, uh, changes that, that could occur and, and how they'd, they'd, they'd handle them if they do occur.
3: I find that um, it seems that the as we get older and we start talking to our kids, for some reason we still don't want to release information about banking and all that. I, I'm not sure what that is. I hear that a lot at the center, but I think it's very important to explain to express and to explain your pre-needs exactly, you know, how you want that done. Um, you, you know, if you want to be buried, if you've got that already taken care of, and here's my the information on, you know, my cremation. And, of course, for peaches, she wants a parade. But all those kind of things that need to happen, um, the kids, at first it's very difficult, but, boy, that's a relief off of the, the, the parent.
4: I, I think uh, there are many, as you say, there are many parents that feel... Uh, particularly, um, uncomfortable with sharing their financial information. Um, I certainly went through this with my mom, uh, at the time that she was uh, living in South Florida in a, in a wonderful gated golf community and everything seemed to be hunky dory. Uh, and in fact, she and my stepfather were, 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 uh, on the verge of bankruptcy. And I, I didn't find out about it until, uh, after they were in fact bankrupt. Um, but I, I think if I had known mother uh, I shared that information with me sooner, then I would have been in a position to help them long before they reached a point where, where things uh, f- unfortunately fell apart for them. Um, I, I, you know, not, Certainly not every family is going to face a, a, a dire financial situation like that, but I, I, I still would argue that it's better to, to, to inform your children of, of what your wishes are in regards to medical care, in regards to cr- funeral rites, cremation and all that, but also in regards to your your financial status uh, so that the, the children are, are in the best position to, to step up and help if needed and so it, things don't have to get to the point where uh, there there uh, you know there's irreparable damage done
2: Now are there some tips on how to get that conversation going?
4: Well, I would say don't don't do it uh, at the Easter dinner table uh, you know I think that
2: we're over uh, the Passover seder
4: exactly <laughs> so. You, you don't you, you don't wait you, you you don't wait for some big family gathering uh, and then you know say you know and have a conversation about what with, with their the funeral markers march should be like. Uh, you, you you choose a time uh, maybe uh, when the parent has their yearly physical. Uh, you accompany them to the doctor's office and you have a conversation with the doctor about how the parent's doing. But then that is an opportunity to 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 maybe have a conversation. It prompts a conversation that's just about it. What 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 the next five, 10, 20 years might look like for them and how they how they can plan for that uh, I mean most of us uh, have some idea that we're going to get older and maybe have some thoughts about how we might like to get older and that would be information to share with a with a, with a, a child an adult child uh, and not to not to pretend that we're not going to get older and we're not going to uh, lose some of our vitality over time
2: What do you consider old?
4: Ah, uh, very good question, Ron. Uh, and that is, a, I consider that a trick question, because there is no age in particular that that is old. Um, I, I would, what I would say though is, um, you know, it, it's really going to depend on uh, what somebody's uh, genetic endowment is, what their physical uh, condition is, what their mental condition is. I mean, there there may be people who are going to need help in their fifties or sixties, and others who are not going to need help until their eighties or nineties. I think that the I, I, I would start having these conversations uh, with with parents in their 70s, even if those parents are maybe especially if those parents are hale and hearty. Uh, but the the idea again is to lay the groundwork for 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 how to handle situations that may yet come.
2: He's clinical psychologist Barry Jacobs. I'm Ron Aaron. Peaches Hall is filling in today for Carol Zernial. If you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air, on 9:30 a.m. The answer. Uh, Barry, you mentioned those conversations. I've heard uh, some folks suggest it's helpful to have an independent third-party present to facilitate that discussion. What do you think?
4: I, I think it really depends on the family. I think it depends on the kind of level of trust that exists among parent and child. Um, I also think that, uh, um, you know, there are guidebooks uh, to, to help uh, families uh you know navigate this on their own there is a, a book called the 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 other uh, conversation uh, it's a it's, it's also an a uh, an AARP book uh that uh, kind of takes families step by step through the different topics that that they ought to talk about in order to pre- to, to pre- prepare for for what whatever aging may bring um I, I you know if 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 it's still even with a a guidebook it's still if it still feels uncomfortable for a family to sit down alone then you know, many uh, pastors or rabbis or, or trusted family friends or financial advisors can sit down with a family and, and help them walk through these things uh, to to talk about living arrangements, financial arrangements, uh, uh, parents' preferences for how they want to live, you know, how they would like to die, what kind of, end of life care they might want, et cetera.
2: You mentioned five wishes to me mouthing it and i'm looking (laughs) at my co-host peaches So, this being radio people need to hear you
3: (laughs) well i thought you would take this but five wishes is great and you go online and it's a a pamphlet it's free it's uh eight to ten pages but it walks you through and it uh, it, and actually has a very sweet title to me
2: walks you through what
3: Uh, your final everything so you can go over that with your kids your wishes how you would like things done everything
4: yeah, five, I think Five Wishes is a, is excellent for end-of-life care planning.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, ask questions like, you know, if if you are unable to speak for yourself, uh, do you want to to have uh, chest compressions if you have a heart attack? Do you want to be intubated if you can't breathe? Mm-hmm. I mean, it asks some very specific questions, but it mm-hmm. also just uh, asks people to identify uh, those numbers of the family to, to speak for them in the event that they can't speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think Five Wishes is part of a, of a larger conversation. Uh, that I hope would include um, uh, just how a parent, you know, asking her, not how a parent wants to, to, to end their life, but also how the parent wants to live, you know, mm-hmm. long long before they reach that stage.
2: In fact, Peaches, you've said you do not want your kids caring for you.
3: Oh, no, no, uh-uh. no. I, I uh, have it set up so that if uh, I have long-term care insurance, so if I need to go into um, memory care or some kind of housing, um, that I, they know that. They do know it.
2: But you're one of the few with long-term care insurance. Mm-hmm. Most people don't have it.
3: No, but I can't recommend it high enough. But I, I, I also have long-term care insurance, and I also, I, I mean,
4: I'm, unfortunately, my mother and stepfather had it. It made a huge difference. Uh, it's very expensive, but it it, it, uh, it it gives you a little bit of peace of mind going forward. It is. Uh, I, I do agree with what you said, Ron, that the vast majority of, of Americans do not have it. Uh, in other countries, uh thinking specifically of Japan, uh, it's, it's required that uh, the same way that uh, everybody's required to pay into Social Security in this country, in Japan, uh, starting at age 40, everybody's required to pay into a long-term care fund, and then when they need it, the money is there to pay for long-term care services.
2: Makes a lot of sense. Oh, it does. I, I think so, too.
3: It, now – it makes it easier, even on me—not just for my family members, but it—I it, feel better about it.
2: Got about two minutes left, Barry. What haven't we asked you? You want to share with our listeners? Uh,
3: I mean, I, I think that
4: uh, on this last topic, that, uh, that there shouldn't be anything uh, that, that seems too grim uh, to, to talk about. That you know, that these are conversations where families really share—not just they don't just plan, but they really share their values about. About living with one another, and and they by sharing this information, they they, they kind of cement their relationships and, uh, and and really you know underscore that, that these are family issues, these families working in concert with, with one another in order to to help all of us live as well as we can. So,
2: and the best way to get a hold of you,
4: uh, you know you can come to my uh, website uh, www.emotionalsurvivalguide.com, you can come to my uh, my Facebook page uh, at Dr. Barry J. Jacobs um, uh, and uh, be happy to communicate with you through Facebook or my
2: website. Thank you. We really enjoyed having you on. Appreciate it.
3: We did. Thank you for all you do.
2: Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Peaches. Okay, take care. Clinical psychologist Barry Jacobs. Up next, Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us for Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer, Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Peaches Hall. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Jukes here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio?
6: You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life.
2: And it's something that... Uh, You're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio?
6: Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home.
2: Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 930 a.m. The Answer Be there. Thank you so much for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS on air. We follow each and every one of our programs with Take 10, where nationally known psychotherapist Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us. He is an expert not only on caregiving but on addictions as well. And filling in for Carol Zernio is the all-star Peaches Hall. And we're delighted to have Peaches with us as well. I want to talk a little bit, if we may, Jamie, about the concept of equanimity, keeping balance in caregiving. It's not all good. It's not all bad. How do you keep yourself together?
5: You know, Ron, this is uh, the age-old question around caregiving. How do we actually stay on two feet instead of one? So to give the audience uh, a little visual in their mind, if you can picture a person on two feet, Literally, with the wind blowing, they usually can stand up. That's what martial arts is all about is, and Tai Chi is all about, which is figuring the right balance where your two feet go. And then if you picture a caregiver uh, well, on one leg, if you will, and the wind's blowing, they just blow right over. So to have balance as a caregiver is vital. And many family caregivers just juggle everything in their lives, uh, their loved one, uh, children, spouses, a job. And it's so difficult, very, very difficult to find that balance. But I wrote a book with a wonderful geriatrician and a celebrity, and we called it Take Your Oxygen First. And it was all about, guess what, how to have balance in your life. And it was through self-care.
2: Now, when you say self-care, what do you mean?
5: Well, we're usually, as caregivers, in this codependent state of mind, the last ones that we look at for Help and healing we don't put our needs first we always put our a loved one with a chronic or a terminal or just an acute illness and we just juggle everything in our lives and and put everything there about first before ourselves and what self-care is literally is, is literally as the title says take your oxygen first if you don't take the oxygen first both of you will perish god forbid in a in a plane crash and so self-care is about putting your mind your body and your spirit there before you actually take care of a loved one or certainly why you're taking care of a loved one. So at least you can have two feet on the ground and that energy will just flow out. And hopefully that's the best treatment recommendation for the person you're taking care of is to catch a little bit of that contagious stuff.
3: And don't you see sometimes when they are juggling and they don't realize they're adding another ball into that circle, they're not asking for help. They just keep piling it on because they're in that momentum.
2: Give us an example.
3: Um, maybe you have, uh, you're have caring for um, a loved one, a, a husband, a spouse, and then all of a sudden your neighbors ask you for some more help, and you're, you don't want to say no because you don't want to look like you can't do this juggling act. So you take on one more thing, and then all of a sudden you don't feel well or somebody else has another need, and you keep piling it on instead of either saying, I can only do three of these balls at a time, or, um, you know, if you come back to me a little bit later, I can maybe add that in uh, with some other assistance. You know, I, you know, here's my magic act person to come in to help me.
5: Well, what Peaches is describing to us all is the superman or superwoman complex. And literally that, as a caregiver, becomes our mantra, if you will, is that we are total supermen and superwomen. And we are, and we can't take care of everything around us. And this is where the humility of being a caregiver needs to set in, that we can't, that there's many things we're powerless over, and that we have to literally understand that humility. There's a great, you know, blessing or prayer, if you will, in Alcoholics Anonymous, God, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the caregiver mantra. should
3: be. And then just sometimes I hear things like, you know, uh, if I loved him enough, I could do it. Or if, you know, it it has nothing to do with your feelings towards it. You just have limitations.
5: You know, that's what guilt is all about. What Mm -hmm. teachers you're describing now is this constant burden of guilt that we have as caregivers. And to answer Ron's question about caregiver self-care, we have to understand why guilt is there. Literally, guilt is there if our self-esteem is not There. So the higher the guilt, the lower the Mm self-esteem. The higher the self-esteem, usually, the lower the guilt. So what it really says is that that guilt, that if we could only be that super person type of thing, needs to be in check. And the more we work with ourselves in terms of self-care, doing things that that feed us, that have self-compassion, the less our guilt would be and the greater our self-esteem
2: becomes. Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. This segment follows each and every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. On 930 AM, The Answer, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, filling in for Carol Zerniel and Dr. Jamie Heisman with us on the Caregiver SOS on-air hotline. And for the caregivers who may be listening, Dr. Jamie, uh, the whole concept of Balance. I've heard you use the example, and and you alluded to it somewhat earlier on, of that three-legged stool. Walk us through that again.
5: Well, that's a great analogy, and I wish I could take credit for it, but it's really a psychological concept. The three legs of the stool is your mind, your body, and your soul, or your spirit. And so what we have to do, obviously, is to keep all three legs strong. Because, again, I'm a visual person probably because I'm B D But you can see, if we don't take care of one of those three, our mind, our body, and our spirit, and we sit down on the stool, we're likely to fall. So what a balanced life needs to have is our medical care taken care of, our psychological care taken care of, and our social-slash-spiritual self. That is so critical as well, so that we can have a three-legged stool and we can actually sit down without falling.
2: And for the person who is juggling as... Peaches was mentioning earlier, oh, I can add another one, I can add another one. Do you do that consciously, or is it simply taking you over?
5: Well, Peaches, I'm sure you can comment about But to me, in the psychological side, that's the codependency of our lives. Literally, we do it unconsciously. In fact, unfortunately, um, the deep roots of that are usually from childhood, Ron. And codependency is like a co-addiction. And you've heard me say it before, the definition of an addiction is to do any behavior despite adverse consequences. We don't normally do adverse consequences. So we do it unconsciously. We go on autopilot, and we become like that child that had nobody taking care of them. And, and somehow we recreate it, because a loved one is usually somebody very close to us. That's a trigger or a cue for us to go back into childhood and recreate. And
3: then there's so much fear, fear of loss. A lot of the things.
5: Well, you're so right. Fear is a huge trigger, uh, Peaches, and fear of the unknown. And that's why we say when you got one foot in tomorrow and one foot in yesterday, you know, you're, you're walking all over today. Fear is about putting yourself anywhere but in the moment. Mm.
2: I love some of your analogies, one foot in tomorrow, one in yesterday. You end up walking all over today. How true is that?
5: so true. I mean, be here now is really the the adage, if you will, I know, of the well met culture now. But it should be the adage of of everybody's culture. Um, In fact, if you look at the Dalai Lama, he always says, don't get too happy and don't get too sad, which means, really, don't put yourself in tomorrow and don't cry over yesterday. Try to live in the moment. Try to breathe. Try to become what we say, mindful. And that really does create great balance.
3: I think it's also hard to enjoy the moment. Um, Sometimes you miss that person that maybe has dementia. You miss that person, so you're not enjoying the moments that are still left. And I always say enjoy those, laugh with those moments, and just live those moments.
2: I had a great conversation with one of our twin boys, 4-year-old Carter, explaining what is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. He couldn't get his hands and head around it, and we worked on that for a while. Mm -hmm. Interesting concept. What is tomorrow?
5: You know, it's so good to work with a child like that because it's actually at the right time. Because once we pass childhood, we usually have that tomorrow, unfortunately, in our mind. And tomorrow is about expectations, Ron, and that's what caregivers really fall prey to. You've heard me say it too often. Caregivers are uh, expectations are the seeds of resentment. And expectations are about tomorrow. And that's why we really do have to live in today and give up the expectations of what we can do, what we can't do, or even solve for, God forbid, a disease that our loved one has. Mm.
2: Well, we are just about flat out of time. Any final comment, Jamie?
5: What you say about balance and caregivers is so vital. All I can say is take your oxygen first, take care of yourself, make sure those three legs are together on the stool, and if you do, if, if you can, go to a caregiver SOS somewhere in Texas, or if you have one, a hospital near you, go to a support group.
2: Thank you, Dr. Jamie Heisman, sitting in for Carol Zernial, of Peaches Hall. I'm Ron Aaron. This has been Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. We come to you at the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. We're available on podcast, too. Just Google Caregiver SOS on-air. This is 930 AM, The Answer.
1: You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on-air presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net and join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder
2: what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, What can folks learn from WellMed Radio?
6: You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life.
2: And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio?
6: Well... I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home.
2: Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 930 a.m. The Answer. Be There.